Thanks for joining us for our Sunday worship gathering. Today, we're in a message series titled Forgotten God, and we're learning about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has for us today, and please give a warm welcome to our lead pastor, Bob Schwann. Awesome. Always, always a joy to be with you, an opportunity to open God's Word together. Uh, We are in our fourth week in this series that we're calling Forgotten God. The kind of the idea from that came from a book by Francis Chan of that title, not necessarily pulling all the content from that, but uh, we thought that was a catchy title to talk a little bit about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say right up front that we absolutely believe that if we want to be everything that God wants us to be, as a follower of him, we've got to understand how his spirit wants to work in and through our lives. His power is made available to us. And just so you know, every week before we have these gatherings, everyone involved with putting this together in this room, we meet right here on this stage. And the thing that we're praying over and over and over again is that God's spirit would move in this place in a way that he would meet you right where you're at. Because here's what we know to be true, is that he's the only one who has access to your heart. He's the only one that can change your heart. So we come to this place where we are completely dependent upon him to do the things that he wants to do in this time and in this place if we're going to be what it is that God wants us to be as a church. And what we know is true is that God does that. He meets with people again again and again in these environments. I want to read you an email. And just so you know, I'm reading this with permission. Uh, So if you send an email to us, you're not going to be the next sermon illustration. Just because you sent us an email, uh, we ask people if, if we can share these things. And this young gal said that she would be glad for us to share it. She said, Journey, I've been going to church my whole life and I believe in God. While I don't always put God first and trust in him as much as I should, I know he is always there. I'd been in a relationship for four years, the last two years being very toxic and unhealthy. We decided to take some time apart, but we kept getting back together every few months only to fall back into our old patterns. It has been a year now since we had seen each other and recently began to talk again. I was hopeful this time was different and that we could try again from a positive place. It ended quickly and I was left devastated. During the year apart, I worked on my trust and confidence and was finally in a place of peace only to have that shattered again. During the last month, I have only been going through the motions of life, constantly questioning why I am not good enough What is wrong with me? Today, I attended the early service with a heavy heart and a broken spirit. During the opening songs, I finally gave up. I said, God, I am giving you my pain and my worries. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I am giving it to you. I am trusting you. And I believe in you. And I know everything will be okay. The next phrase of the song was a miracle is happening now. The spirit of the Lord is all around. And I felt him. I felt him with me. I knew he was listening and he took my pain away. 
I left church today with a smile, knowing that I could now let it go. The Lord is with me. I just want to say thank you for always reminding me of the good in him. I sometimes get off track and I don't always put him first. So I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that reminds us that we can trust in God. Powerful encounter that someone has with a very real and a very living God that wanted to do something in her as she responded to what it was that he wanted to do in her life that day. And transformation happened. Change happened. Friends, that's what the Christian life is all about. God working in us and through us to bring about change, making us more like Christ in every aspect of our life. See, the Christian life, it's not about us just trying to figure out how I could live a a more moral life. It's not about us just learning more things about the Bible. It's not about us just trying to figure out new tips and techniques to live our life better. It's not about religious activity. The Christian life, friends, it is a supernatural life. It was never intended to be anything other than a supernatural life. The God of the universe, he wants to literally work in you and through you. He wants to bring change to your life. He wants to transform you from the inside out as your life becomes more and more and more like Jesus. And I've said this every week that we've talked about the Holy Spirit. This transformation that happens in us, that makes us look more like Jesus, this, that kind of life that will make us look like Jesus, it's not difficult. It's not a difficult life. It's actually an impossible life. And the only way, the only shot that we have to live the kind of life that Jesus lived is if his spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives his life through us in his power. But this is what can happen. We can get stuck. We can get stuck and just feel like there's things aren't happening the way that I think God wants them to happen. And you know what we can do? We can just amp up our game and say, well, I'm just gonna try harder. I'm gonna do more. I'm gonna gut it out. I'm just gonna do more. I'm gonna try more. I'm gonna increase my effort. When I very first started ministry, when I was a young man, younger than I am today, by a long shot, early 20s, I worked with a ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, or crew, and my first assignment was at the University of Montana in Missoula. I'd actually come to faith in Christ through the ministry of Campus Crusade. So I was so excited about going to the college campus because I knew, I absolutely knew that there were students just like me because another student shared with me the hope of Christ and I jumped at the chance to have a relationship with him. So I was absolutely convinced that there were students running all over the campus that if I could just give them the opportunity to hear about Christ, that they also would jump at the chance to have a relationship with him. I was young and excited. I was gonna make a difference. I was gonna win the campus for Christ. You know what I found out when I got there? It was hard. And it was way harder than I had ever expected. I got to this place where I just felt overwhelmed. But you know, I'm kind of a type A personality. And so my thought was, I just need to work harder. I just need to do more. I just need to amp up my game. But it was all about me. I just tried more. 
But the more that I tried in and of myself, the more miserable I got, the more stuck I got. I just felt like the way I, when I think back to what I felt like, I just felt like my soul was shriveling inside. There just wasn't the life in me that was there before because I was trying to do it in my own effort and I was so frustrated. I can remember this picture in my mind sitting on the edge of my bed and I was looking at the phone and here's what was going through my mind. If I just call my boss at my old engineering job, I know he would hire me back. I want to do something different. This is too hard. And to make matters worse, even a lower point in my life came shortly after that, where I was actually sitting on the campus, just so frustrated, so dry, so exhausted spiritually. My boss came and he was sitting down beside me on this bench and trying to encourage me in my faith. And so here was his thought. He said, well, why don't we just do what God has called us to do and just being a part of sharing the gospel with people will be exciting to us. So he said, well, why don't we just go talk to some students about Christ? I looked at my boss and this is what I said. I said, why? So that one day they can be just as miserable as me? Not a real light in the darkness there, am I right? (laughs) But that was just the gut level honest place that I was. This is hard. I am so thankful to this day that God took me to that place in my life where I felt so stuck that I thought there's no way that I'm ever gonna get out of this. Because if my efforts, the things that I was trying to do had been successful up and to the right, I don't know that I would have ever learned, that I would have ever known that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me and what I could do. Life was about only what God can do through me. He brought me to a place of brokenness and repentance where I needed to turn to him. And I'm so thankful that he did that for me. But here's what I think is so ironic, that if you would have walked up to me on that bench that day and asked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I could have explained it to you. It wouldn't have even been hard. I could have given you all the scripture. I could give you all the examples. But there was a disconnect between what I knew to be true and what I was living in my life. God wants those two things to come together. He wants us to be full of his spirit. He wants us to be able to respond to him. Because friend, when I talk about that transformation, and I read that email, just that simple piece of transformation that happened in a person's life, that is available to you. That is available to me. That is available to all of us. And that's what God wants for us. But that transformation only happens as we understand how to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. A couple of weeks ago, the last time that we talked about the Holy Spirit, I shared a little diagram. And I want to repeat that, not the whole thing, but I want, to, I want to help you understand that picture again, because it's really helpful when we're thinking about this idea of the Spirit-filled life. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in Mark 1.15, He begins to talk about the kingdom of God. And here's what he says. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near, meaning it is right at hand. And then he says, repent and believe the good news. So when Jesus proclaims that to his disciples, when he says the time has come, he wasn't talking about, if you remember, chronological time. That word that he used there was a different kind of time, a time called Kairos. 
And when Jesus said that, we were saying there's an opportunity. There's a breakthrough moment here. And this is what the breakthrough moment is about. It's about the kingdom of God. That God's kingdom, his rule and reign has the potential to break through in your life at these kairos moments, these opportune moments. But he says there's something that we need to do when God's spirit moves in us and we sense that there's one of these kairos moments, these opportunities, we need to respond respond to it in a couple of different ways. And Jesus says it this way. He says we need to, first we need to repent. And then we need to believe. So we're walking along in life. We sense that God is grabbing our attention with something. There's a speed bump. Somehow he's reaching in to our life. Jesus is saying the first thing that we need to do as we're walking along is we need to repent. And when we talked about repent, that word just simply means to change your mind, to change your thinking. We want to match our thinking with God's thinking. So there's a question that we ask when we want to know what is it that God is thinking? And we simply say this, God, what is it that you are saying to me? God, in this moment, in this opportune moment, God, what is it that you want to say to me? But then we hear from God and we sense that there's something that he's trying to say to us. How do we respond out of that? Jesus said the thing that we do is that we need to believe or we need to have faith. And when the Bible talks about belief, it's not just talking about some kind of intellectual assent to something. The Bible, when it talks about belief, it's talking about doing something. Faith goes with action. So the question that we're asking God, first of all, in repentance, it's what are you saying to me? But when it's belief, when we're talking about the belief side, the faith side, we're asking him, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live out my faith? How do you want me to respond to what it is that you've been saying to me? And here's what we talked about. This kind of transformation that we're talking about as we move around this circle, it sends our life off in a different trajectory as we follow God in our life. And that's that that change, that transformation that we're talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of God breaking in. And here's why I share this. It's because when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about what we're going to talk about today, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he is the one that orchestrates these in our life, these promptings, this speaking to us, this sharing with us what it is that he wants us to do. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we've got to figure out how do we grab a hold of that in us? And Paul explains it this way in the scriptures. He said, we're able to live this kind of life, this kind of transformed life of the kingdom by being filled with the spirit. Here's what the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. What word do you think Paul is using when he talks about opportunity? Kairos. He's saying make the most of every kairos. Every time that the spirit bumps your life, every time he grabs your attention, make the most of it. Put your ear to heaven and say, God, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says this, 
He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, where their debauchery just means wild living or out of control kind of living. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If we're going to be kind of people where the kingdom breaks through in our life, Paul's saying you need to make the most of every kairos. And that's the picture of the Spirit-filled life. And so when Paul's trying to help us understand in the scriptures, what in the world does it even mean for us to be filled with the Spirit? How do, we, how do we even understand what it is that he's talking about there? He uses some analogies to try to help us understand some comparison and contrast with some things. And he talks a little bit about wine. Are some of you thinking you could use that right now? He talks about wine, but this is what he says. He says, don't get drunk on wine because this leads to the wrong kind of living. He says, but instead be filled with the spirit. So the question we've got to ask is, is what is he talking about as it relates to wine? And it's not so much just about wine. He's talking about drunkenness. He's talking about too much wine. I know that probably, I'm probably the only one in this whole room that has ever been drunk, but I wasn't always a Christ follower. I wasn't always a pastor. So since none of you probably know about it, I'll fill you in a little bit about what can happen when you have too much wine. Alcohol, it has a way of kind of taking over in our life. It has a way of kind of causing us to lose control in some ways. It kind of lowers our natural inhibitions and it kind of lowers sometimes our natural fears. And there's certain behaviors that can be characteristic of people that have had too much wine. If you've ever been around someone that's had too much to drink, have you ever noticed that they're the most honest people on the planet? Like way more than you even want them to be. I mean like little kids and drunk people are just the most honest people on the planet. They just, they just say it. I've noticed with drunk people there's something that can be true of them is they can be incredibly courageous. Suddenly they're courageous when they've had too much wine. So courageous that they actually think that they can dance. Sometimes they think, I can actually talk to this girl that I've been so afraid to talk to. And sometimes they even, they're willing to pick a fight with someone that's like twice the size of them because they're courageous. Drunk people sometimes can be really emotional. Have you ever noticed that? People that have just had too much to drink. <laughs> can happen. It can happen. Sometimes it can be sadness. Sometimes it can be anger. But it, it's just extreme emotion can happen. Drunk people oftentimes can be incredibly vulnerable. Like they're willing to tell you all kinds of problems that they probably never would when they were completely sober. There's this incredible boldness because of a lack of inhibitions. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that picture right there, he says don't do that because oftentimes when we see those behaviors in people, we'll say things like, that's not really them, that's the alcohol talking. There's something outside of them that is driving their life, that is empowering them, directing them, controlling their life, and it's the alcohol. So Paul is, with that picture in mind, he's saying, don't allow that to be true, but allow your life to be directed, empowered, and controlled by what? The Spirit of God. Allow the Spirit to be the one that directs your life, not wine, that outside force, that outside person that's living within us, influencing our life. 
But you know what can be true of people that are full of the Spirit as well? They can be incredibly honest as well. But not because their inhibitions have been lowered, because they are walking closely with a God who values honesty, who is a God of truth. They can be courageous. They can be engaged in their emotions. They can be vulnerable. Not because there's this outside force of alcohol that's driving that, but because they're standing in the presence of God, knowing that I can be who God created me to be without fear, because I know what it is that he wants to do a different life. And you can look at them and just say, there's something else that's driving their life. That's where Paul is talking about. Don't let that outside influence be alcohol. Let that outside influence be the spirit himself. And if you know anything about alcohol, alcohol is a, is a natural depressant. It depresses our brain. It actually causes our view of reality to be narrowed. And that's why people want to drink when they've got issues in their life and problems because it drowns out the bigger pieces of reality that they want to escape from. And that's why they get so happy for a time. But it doesn't last. It never, never lasts. But Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit, he's not a depressant. The Holy Spirit is actually a stimulant to reality. He doesn't want to dampen reality in any way. He actually wants to expand your reality, to stimulate your view of reality and allow you to see something that you're not currently seeing because that's the thing that is gonna change you from the inside out. When I think about that email that I read, just a, a simple little example of God's spirit moving in the heart and the life of a person. But she could have done a lot of different things to try to deal with those issues that she was dealing with in life, couldn't she? She could have grabbed a glass of wine and another glass of wine and another glass of wine. And maybe at some point, it would have drowned out those things, those hurts inside, because it would depress reality, it would narrow reality, and those things would kind of dissipate into the darkness. But you know what she did? She engaged with God. She engaged with his spirit. And you know what it did? It gave her a bigger reality to live in. Her problems were still there when she walked out of the room. Circumstances hadn't changed. But you know what? She saw life differently because she was seeing it in light of him. The spirit gave her a greater reality. And that's the picture that's the picture of why Paul is making this contrast between wine and the spirit. One depresses our view of reality and one allows us to actually see true reality. The reality that God wants us to see. And we experience that greater reality by being filled with the spirit. That's what Paul is talking about in this text. But again, we've got to ask the question, what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? And I wanna, and I need to apologize right now. If you hated English growing up, you're gonna hate the next five minutes of what I'm gonna talk about up here. But I think it's actually helpful. I want us to look at the verb that Paul uses right here because he uses a very specific word in a very specific way. And I think it will actually help us to understand what it means. What is it that Paul is trying to explain to us by what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So this is what we're going to look at. Is this verb, be filled. And this is what we know 
about this verb. Okay, if you, have, if you have anxiety about English, you can look at your phone or something. This verb is in the present tense. It's in the passive voice. It's in the imperative mood. And it's plural. I'm just imagining it out there, my, my oldest sister that's an English teacher, if she's watching, she's so proud of me right now. <laughs> but Paul uses this verb, be filled, and it means, and it's in the present tense. So what does that mean? Present tense just simply means that it's happening now, in the present. And so what Paul is saying, be filled now, be filled now, be filled now. So when we think about the filling of the Spirit, we need to understand that this is something in our life that is ongoing. It is a continual thing that happens in our life. It's a moment by moment thing. We are continually to be filled with the Spirit. And if this is kind of the the picture of what it looks like to hear and respond to God and to be filled with His Spirit, our life would look a lot like this. It would look like a slinky. Just kairos moment after kairos moment. God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? What are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? Transformation happening. It's ongoing, moment by moment. This verb is in the passive voice. Now, an active voice meaning I do the action. Passive voice means that the action is done to me. We don't go out to be filled with the Spirit. We don't fill ourselves with the Spirit. The Spirit fills us. The Spirit is the one that does the action. And the best word that I can think of to describe what this means is that to be filled with the Spirit requires surrender on our part. It's not something that we go out and grab a hold of. It's something that we allow God to do in our life. It's something that He does to us. We surrender to Him. And this is also, it's in the imperative mood. And this simply means this. It's a command. Paul's saying, this ain't optional. If you are a follower of Christ, being filled with the Spirit, it's not optional. If you want to live the kind of fruitful life that God intends for you, it is not an option. Now, it's not something that we can do in and of ourselves, but it's something that we can actively respond to. God is saying, respond, respond. I command you to respond to the work of my spirit in your life. And lastly is plural, meaning that when when Paul is talking here, he uses a second person plural, you, meaning, I mean, if he was from the South, it'd be like y'all. He's saying, you all, everybody. The filling of the spirit is not for some kind of super saints out there that there's just this class of special Christians. It's for everyone. Everyone is to be filled with the Spirit. That's the picture that Paul gives us using that word. It's for everyone. And oftentimes when I think about that idea of being filled with the Spirit or I talk about it or I hear other people talking about it, they'll use this kind of idea that like if this is our life, if this bowl is our life, being filled with the Spirit is, you know, we just want to get a little bit of the Spirit and then maybe a little bit more of the Spirit. And you even hear people say sometimes, and I've found myself saying it, that we need more of the Spirit. We need more and more and more of the Spirit. Which I understand why people say that, but I've just got to tell you that it's not biblically or theologically correct. And this is why. The Holy Spirit is not a substance. The Holy Spirit is a person. You can't have 
part of a person or a little bit of a person. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have all of the Holy Spirit. He lives within you completely. Not a part of him. Everything. He gives us everything. But the question isn't, do we have all of the Holy Spirit? Here's the question. Does the Holy Spirit have all of us? That's the question. And that's where the surrender comes in. Does the Holy Spirit have all of me? Is there any part of my life that I am holding back from him that is keeping me from being fully filled with him? And I think about this, if you, if you had this sponge, now if this is part of your life and your, contains the Holy Spirit, do you allow every part of you to be saturated by him? Or do you just kind of dip a little area of your life in? And I'm just gonna let this little part of my life be directed and controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And maybe another little part of my life. But what Paul is saying here is that to be filled with the Spirit, what we wanna do is saturate our life with him, that he has access to every part of us. We have all of him, but what we need to do in response is that we need to give all of who we are to his control. We respond to him. Our emotional health, Spirit, take control of that. Our relationships, all of our networks of relationships, God, Holy Spirit, are you driving those? Am I surrendered to you in those? Our finances, our work life, our sexuality, our thought life. Does the Holy Spirit control all of those things? And the process of growing and transforming is that we learn to say yes more and more and more to more and more areas of our life filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? The one word that I wanna highlight again is that word right there, surrender. That we simply surrender to him. And we talk about this process over and over again, but it is that simple, friends, in so many ways. Hear, obey, repent, believe. God, what are you saying to me? God, what is it that you want me to do? Transformation. That's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about the spirit-filled life. He's saying, make the most of every kairos. Don't let any of them slip by. Don't let any of them just kind of move to the margins of your life. Engage them with God. Anytime you sense him coming into your life, knocking on the door of your life, respond to him in obedience. How does God do this? There's lots of different ways that God brings these kairoses into our life, but I wanna talk about one that I think is really important and it relates to his word. There's a parallel passage to what I just read to you in Ephesians chapter five. There's a parallel passage in Colossians chapter three. And in Colossians chapter three, Paul is talking about the word-filled life. In Ephesians five, it's the spirit-filled life, but in Colossians, it's the word-filled life. And this is what he says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. There's an, an equation there that Paul is talking about. He's talking about the spirit-filled life and the word-filled life. Giving ourselves the opportunity to hear God's voice as we learned to understand and respond to the written word, God's voice to all people for all time. This is what the scripture says about scripture itself. In 2 
Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, meaning it's the exhaling of God. It's his voice to us. If you wonder where kairoses are coming from, they're gonna come from his word. And then he says this, and is useful for teaching, meaning teaching us what is right, helping us understand what is right and true, but it's also useful for rebuking, telling us what's not right and maybe even what's not right with us. But it's also useful, it says, for correcting, meaning how do I get right? If I'm off the path, how do I get right? Correcting. And it's also useful for training in righteousness, meaning how do I stay right? When I'm on the path, how do I keep from getting off the path? How do I train myself to follow Christ in his righteousness And the result of that, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants to use his word in our life. As we get to the end here, I want to be incredibly practical with one thing that I just want to unashamedly invite you to jump in and be a part of. There's something that we've been doing around here with some of the leaders and some of folks with Journey, things that we're calling life transformation groups. Great name if you want to see your life transformed, right? Life Transformation Group. And here's the simple thing. I'll just explain it as simply as I can. It is a group of two or three people building a rhythm of their life, of getting together. They're reading the scriptures throughout the week, but they get together once a week and they talk about this. What am I hearing from God? What is it that he's asking me to do? And they start to live that out together and hold each other accountable. There's another thing that these groups are about. They actually confess sin to one another because there's ways that God wants to transform us. There's things that we need to let go of. There's things that we need to be moving away from, things that need to be transformed. How do I repent of those things and believe in the gospel and trust him? And then there's a third thing that these groups do is they begin to think about and talk about who are people in my sphere of influence that I could share the love and the hope of Jesus with. They're thinking about that up relationship with God, hearing from him. They're living as a a family, encouraging one another in their walks with God, but they're also thinking about the out relationships. How are we bringing the good news? How are we displaying the gospel with our lives and declaring the gospel with our lips? There's a sheet out at the info table on how to get started with one of these life transformation groups. And if you have the app on your phone, if you go to the missional leader tools button, This PDF is on there as well. I just want to unashamedly invite you, grab a hold of that, create a context in your life for God to be able to do the things that we're talking about. Because you can know these things and not have them be a part of your reality. I'm living proof of that. I did it for a season of ministry. Get in with people, engage with people, because this is that environment for that, because there's community. There's accountability, there's confidentiality, there's flexibility, because it's just a small group. There's just two or three people getting together. You can do that over a lunchtime. You know, when you try to get 10 people together, it's just way too complex. But if it's just you and another person or you and two people, you can do that at lots of different times throughout the week. And it's reproducible. It's easy to start these and it's easy to help other people start these as well. Let's just imagine if we could, what would our church be like if this was true of every one of us? That this was part of the rhythm of our life? 
that we were regularly getting together with people, having read God's scriptures and asking the question, God, what do you want to say to me? What is it that you want me to do? And then helping each other to live those things out, creating an environment where we can honestly talk about the junk inside, the things that are holding us back and in an environment of grace and truth. And we're actually thinking about praying for people that are in our sphere of influence that we could bring the help of Christ to them. Friends, that would be transformational for you if you just did it yourself. But here's what happens as we start to bump into one another, as our lives start to bump into one another, as it starts to grow in the context of our church, it's not just about you. It starts to affect our whole church. And as our whole church starts to live this out, not just here, but out in the community, it starts to change our valley. Because the radical love of Jesus, what'll happen is it'll start to invade our lives. And then we'll be able to take that radical love and we'll be able to put it into action outside the walls of our church on Sunday. And that, friends, will change our valley. But the question is, will you start? Will you take the next step that it takes for you to create an environment in your life to be able to hear and respond to God in this way? I wanna ask you to put your things aside and I want you to, as you go to a time with God, I just wanna ask you to ask him that question. Would this be the thing for you? I don't wanna tell you that this is what you have to do, but would this be the next thing for you? And who would you do that with? Father, we just want to say to you that we want your kingdom to come. We want it to come in each of our individual lives. We want it to come in our corporate life as a church family. And God, we want your kingdom to be extended into our valley and beyond, into the world. Lord, bring your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what we long for, God. I pray for each of my friends that are here. God, would you stir in their heart what their next step is? God, show them what it is that you're saying to them and what it is that you want them to do. We trust you. Whatever it is that you're saying, God, we just want to come before you and just say the answers, yes. Spirit, we invite you. Speak into our lives. Show us the truth. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.